This is David writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in Psalm 23, verses 1 through 6. And these are the words that he pens. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Brothers and sisters, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our great God stands forever. You may be seated. Here's my aim this morning. Here's my goal. Here's what I endeavor to do uh, with God's help and by his grace and mercy. Psalm 23 is without question written to speak about the nature, the character, and attributes of God as our shepherd. That's what David is recounting. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Here are the table of his benefits. Here's how he loves me. Here's how he serves me. Here's how he overshadows me with his presence. Here's how he protects me. Here's how he feeds me and nourishes me. The Lord is my shepherd. Brothers and sisters, I want you to leave this morning worshiping your shepherd God. Yahweh who shepherds, Yahweh who leads, Yahweh who feeds, Yahweh who protects. But at the same time, I want you to know, see, and understand as we look at this metaphor of shepherding and sheep that God has also entrusted this shepherding ministry to local shepherds of each congregation. And so what we see explicitly in Psalm 23 as it pertains to the Lord being our shepherd, I think we see implicitly and mirrored in the way local shepherds should shepherd the flock of God among them. And so in each point this morning as we work our way through our text, I want to illuminate, shine light on those two facets. The Lord my shepherd, but mirrored in that is a need of the sheep that God has entrusted local shepherds to meet among their flock. That's my aim this morning. That's my goal. That's where I endeavor to lead us. I want to take just a second, though, and look at this metaphor of shepherding throughout the Scriptures. Uh, This whole idea of shepherding is replete in the Bible. Uh, We don't have the time this morning to talk about every passage that deals with God being a shepherd or the shepherds of local congregations looking at how they are to shepherd the flock among them. And so I want to give you the 30,000 foot uh, picture this morning. I think we want to start this morning by just looking at God the shepherd. You don't have to turn to these passages. Maybe you just want to write them down in some white space, though you don't have a ton of it this morning on your outline. You can go and look at them later. But 
The Lord is our shepherd. God is our shepherd in an ultimate sense. I think about the psalmist words in Psalm 95, verses 6 and 7. He writes, O come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker, for he is our God. And we are the people of his pasture. We're the sheep of his hand. He is our God. He is the shepherd. We, his people, are the sheep of his pasture. I think about Isaiah's words in Isaiah chapter 40, verses 10 and 11. Isaiah writes, Behold, the Lord God comes with might and his arm rules. Behold, his reward is with him, his recompense before him. He, God, will tend his flock like a shepherd. He, God, will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. I mean, these are just the scratch and sniff version of the passages that deal with God as our shepherd and how he relates to his sheep, the sheep of his pasture. We'll see this morning as we walk through Psalm 23 even. Uh, Psalm 23.1 says, I shall not want. We see God, the shepherd's provision. He provides for us such that we shall not be in want. Psalm 23 verses 2 and 3, we see God's guidance. He makes me to lay down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. Psalm 23.4, we see God's abiding presence, his nearness. David says, I'll fear no evil, for you are with me. You're present with me. We see God's protection in Psalm 23. Specifically in verse 5, you prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. God is our shepherd. And we move to the New Testament and we see that this theme carries right on over into the New Testament. I think about Jesus himself in Matthew 9, 36 with his disciples there as he stands up over uh, Jerusalem and, and he's broken in heart and broken in spirit. Jesus is said to have had compassion upon the people for they were like sheep without a shepherd. A sheep without a shepherd go astray. Isaiah tells us that in Isaiah 53. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. Turn to our own master. And so Jesus here has compassion on the people because they're harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And then you come to that wonderful text in John chapter 10 where Jesus is referred to as the chief shepherd or the good shepherd. I'm the good shepherd. I lay down my life for my sheep. No one takes my life from me. I lay it down for them willingly, voluntarily. My sheep know my voice. They know the shepherd's voice. And the shepherd knows the bleeding of the sheep. There is an intimate relationship that takes place there in John chapter 10. But then we see as we progress on into the New Testament that God has entrusted this ministry of shepherding to men who will oversee the flock in local churches around the world as these churches began to be birthed and as they began to grow. Paul, writing to Titus, said, I, I appointed you uh, to go and to, to establish elders in every place. Elders in every place. Uh, friends, let me tell you, there, there are three words in your Bible. We haven't gotten to your outline yet, just so you're aware. Three words in your Bible. 
uh, that all speak to the same identical office. It is the word shepherd, it is the word overseer, and it is the word, let me think, I was going there, shepherd, overseer, elder. Shepherd, overseer, elder. All of those words speak to the exact same office. There is no distinction between the office. So what that means is elders are pastors. Every pastor is an elder. The function that those pastors and elders oversee, or do rather, is they oversee the flock. They oversee the welfare, the care, the guidance, the leadership, praying for, ministering to, protecting, feeding. Pastors and shepherds. And so God has entrusted this shepherding ministry, something of God who is the great shepherd, is mirrored in under shepherds who are to care for the local flock that is before them. Peter, writing in 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1 through 3, he writes, So I exhort the elders, I encourage the elders, I urge the elders among you. That's elders, shepherds, pastors. It's the exact same word. I exhort them as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Here is the, the task. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you. Exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, joyfully, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. You see, a whole lot of the imagery from Psalm 23 finds its, its, its expression in other New Testament passages where God has given the shepherding role to under-shepherds in the local church. I think about Ephesians chapter 4. We studied Ephesians a couple of years ago. Paul writes, And he, God, gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. You know, some people may claim, and oftentimes people that claim this are the same people that don't have a whole lot of desire to be meeting together and assembling regularly, frequently, consistently with the body of Christ. But some individuals claim, well, God is my chief shepherd. And so I don't, I, I don't need any other shepherd. I don't need to meet with any other sheep of any other flock because it's just me and God. As if you're the only sheep in his pasture. These individuals fail to appreciate the fact that God has chosen to mediate his shepherding. Another way that we might think about that, this is a word that's used pretty commonly in our day, soul care. That God might mediate his shepherding or mediate his care for the souls of the sheep through under shepherds who will guide and feed the flock on a weekly basis. Shepherding in the local church should echo the principles of the Lord's shepherding in Psalm 23. And so I want to spend the rest of our time this morning looking at the correlations between God who is our chief shepherd and how we see that, that under-shepherding ministry mirrored in the local church and how we as sheep, myself included, need that. We good to go? If your seatbelts weren't already buckled, buckle them. Number one, if you're taking notes, I would encourage you to do so. I think you'll listen better if you do. Write this down. The most immediate need that you have is to know the great shepherd of the sheep. That is, without question, the most immediate need 
that every man and woman, boy and girl on the face of the planet have is to know the great shepherd of the sheep. David begins, look at Psalm 23, verse 1. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Friends, just let me ask you, have you come to a place in your life where you have surrendered your heart by way of faith and repentance, bowed it down before the great shepherd of the sheep, and in doing so become a sheep in his fold? Do you know him savingly? Do you know about him? Do you know Bible verses? Are you involved in a ministry? Are you involved in a wana? Not are you a Sunday school teacher or an elder or any other role you may have. At the end of the day, not a one of those will be a question that you are asked when you step into eternity. The question that you will be asked is, what did you do with the great shepherd of the sheep? Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That's all in the context of Jesus being the gate into the pasture. Have you come through Jesus, through the gate of his righteousness, into the fold of God's flock? The most immediate need that you have is to know the great shepherd of the sheep. And not only is the first half of that verse important, the Lord is my shepherd, but the second half is vitally important as well. David says, I shall not want You see, the key truth here is, I shall lack nothing. Being in vital union with, being in intimate relationship with the great shepherd of the sheep, I shall not want. You see, here's the reality, friends. Left to themselves, sheep lack everything. They are among the most helpless of the animal kingdom. They lack everything on their own. Having said that, if we belong to the one who is self-sufficient, inexhaustible, and utterly unchangeable, we will lack nothing. We'll lack nothing. The most immediate need that you have is to repent of your sin and to put your faith in Jesus Christ. Number two, write this down. God has blessed me, you, me, us, with local shepherds, who mirror the ultimate shepherd by providing spiritual nourishment. God has blessed me with local shepherds who mirror the ultimate shepherd in their duty and responsibilities by providing me with spiritual nourishment as a sheep. Look at verse 2 there. David writes, He, God, makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. We're reminded that the good shepherd takes his sheep into places where they can feed on the best of the grasses and rest from their travels and find refreshment and peace beside cool, still waters. Green pastures, or it's actually best rendered pastures of tender grass, are mentioned here with respect to spiritual nourishment, being fed spiritually. The still waters, on the other hand, are literally waters of stillness whose quiet flow invite us to repose or to rest. Sheep don't lie down very easily. 
I took a walk back through uh, a wonderful book this week entitled A Shepherd Looks at Psalm 23. If you ever had the chance to get your hands on this, I think you can, it's, uh, I believe it's still in print. You can find it very inexpensively, and I know you can find it in digital format. It may even be free online. A Shepherd uh, Looks at Psalm 23 by Philip Keller. It is excellent. Uh, Philip Keller for years was a shepherd, a believer, but was also a shepherd. And so he ties in all these intricate details and corollaries from Psalm 23 to the actual life of a shepherd and to the heart of a shepherd for his flock. We see these green pastures and still waters that the great shepherd leads us to. David is saying that those who belong to the Lord are well tended to, and they have their needs met by the great shepherd of their souls. Friends, sheep, just like any other animal, must eat in order to stay healthy. They must eat, but they must also eat often. There are some animals out there, think about snakes or camels or sharks or spiders, uh, and there are others that can go very long periods of time, prolonged periods, without any nourishment. Sheep are not like that. Sheep are constantly eating, constantly grazing. As a matter of fact, if the shepherd is not caring for them well, they will overeat a particular field and starve. And so the shepherd, knowing that, will will bring them into another pasture with tender green shoots for their nourishment. Sheep must eat, and they must eat often in order to stay healthy. Well, with what does a shepherd feed his flock? What does a spiritual shepherd feed his flock with? Well, Jesus reminds us in Matthew chapter 4 when he says, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Just as God shepherds by nourishing his sheep, so under-shepherds are to guide the flock entrusted to their care to green pastures of God's word and let them feed there spiritually. Let me shamelessly plug here again, there is another need to be assembling together on Sunday morning. So that you can receive the shepherding that provides nourishment for your souls as the Word of God is taught Sunday in and Sunday out. Now, don't be mistaken for just a minute, for a moment here. Uh, we're not only to eat on Sundays. As a matter of fact, you will be incredibly malnourished if you eat only on Sundays. Just like you'll be incredibly malnourished if you only eat physically on Sundays. And spending daily time with God, I would encourage you greatly. Maybe you have a Bible reading plan that you are using or something that you're using for some quiet time or devotional time. If you have no idea where to start, ask a Christian around you who loves you or come and ask me. I have gobs and gobs and gobs of good stuff to give you so that you can feast upon the Word of God week in and week out. But that is not to the exclusion of gathering together corporately where your shepherds can minister to your soul where your shepherds can minister the Word of God to your soul. It's the Word of God that satisfies the souls of the people of God. You know, if you've ever studied the book of Ezekiel, you'll remember that the Lord sternly indicted Israel's elders for failing to fulfill their responsibility to feed the flock. Ezekiel 34, verses 1 through 3, just give me your ear here. This is God uh, chastening 
the Israel, or the elders of Israel, he says, The word of God came to me, son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, even to the shepherds, thus says the Lord, Ah, shepherds of Israel, who have been feeding yourselves, should you not be shepherding the sheep? You eat the fat, you clothe yourselves with wool, you slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. You don't feed the sheep. Friends, there, there are sheep in churches today, countless sheep in churches, where the shepherds do not nourish the sheep with the word of God. They're teaching some popular fad of the day, some pop psychology, uh, Dr. Phil theology, have your best life. You go on and on and on. Anything but God's word. I suspect that they will receive the exact same stern rebuke uh, that God gave to the elders of Israel in Ezekiel 34. You, you feed yourselves, you take care of yourself, but you neglect the flock. You neglect the flock. The shepherd is responsible to feed the sheep. This was set forth with great emphasis in Jesus' conversation with Peter after his resurrection. Remember, when Jesus inquired of Peter's love for him, Jesus gave the mandate to Peter to feed his sheep, literally to tend his flock. Not once, not twice, but three times. Do you love me, Peter? I love you. Feed my sheep. Do you love me, Peter? I love you. Then feed my sheep. Do you love me, Peter? Lord, you know I love you. Tend to my flock. Tend to my flock. It is a high priority of the great shepherd that under shepherds tend to the flock that has been entrusted to them. It is the first responsibility of a church's shepherds, collectively, plurally, more than one, shepherds, to make sure that the sheep under their care are fed, nourished, and nurtured by the whole counsel of the Word of God. It's one of the reasons why I love expository preaching. Expository preaching doesn't mean preaching through books of the Bible, by the way. Expository preaching just means that the point of the sermon is the point of the text. Having said that, I think one of the best ways to make the point of the sermon, the point of the text, is by preaching through books of the Bible. That way, over time, 5, 10, 15, 20 years of sitting under sound teaching from under shepherds, that the flock is nourished and built up, uh, has a steady diet across Testaments, Old Testament, New Testament, across the various genres of Scripture. We have history and poetry. And in Revelation, we have apocryphal writing. We have Gospels. We have narrative that we're nourishing the flock over the long haul with a steady fare of the whole counsel of God's Word. Friends, we see here God shepherding his people by providing spiritual nourishment. He leads them to green pastures. And he makes them to lie down beside still waters. And that same responsibility has been entrusted to under-shepherds of the flock today. You need that, friends. And so do I. Number three, write this down. God has blessed me with local shepherds who mirror the ultimate shepherd by providing spiritual restoration. Not only spiritual nourishment, not only spiritual food, but also spiritual restoration. 
Look at this short phrase here. Look at verse 3a. Simply, he restores my soul. He restores my soul. A second blessing that comes from the Lord's leading is that of spiritual restoration. As a shepherd leads his sheep to placid waters for rest, so the Lord restores or refreshes the soul of his sheep. As God's sheep, we can go astray from the path that he has called us to walk in. Again, Isaiah tells us clearly, Isaiah 53, 6, we all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has gone our own way. We're prone to going our own way. But here's the reality, friend. When we go our own way, we oftentimes end up cast. C-A-S-T. Cast. Or not upright. When we go our own way, when we wander away from the shepherd, we oftentimes end up cast or on our backs, not on our feet. David in Psalm 43, 5 asked God, he said, or he was speaking here, and he says, Why are you downcast, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God. Here he is preaching to himself. You, David, hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. But David asked the question here, he says, Oh my soul, why are you downcast? Why are you upside down? Why are you in turmoil within me? Well, you see, David had tested defeat in his life, and he had felt the frustration of having fallen under temptation. Big time. Big time. And as a result, David's soul had become downcast or distressed And so he needed to be restored. He needed to be restored. There's an exact parallel to this in caring for the sheep. You see, sometimes a sheep can become, again, cast. This is an old English term for a sheep that has gotten turned over on its back and is therefore unable to right itself, is unable to get itself back up on its feet. A cast sheep is a sad sight to behold. Lying on its back there with its feet up in the air, it flails around frantically trying to get up, and if the shepherd doesn't arrive in time, the sheep will pass away. The sheep's in need of restoration. It's become cast, downcast. And so a good shepherd looks over his flock carefully, continually counting them all to see that they are all up on their feet. One of the first thoughts that runs through a shepherd's mind when there is a missing sheep is that that sheep may be cast somewhere. That that sheep may be downcast somewhere. Not only does the shepherd keep a sharp eye out for cast sheep, but so do predators. I mean, think for just a moment, buzzards, vultures, coyotes, cougars, they all know that a cast sheep is easy prey. You don't even have to chase it. Even the largest, strongest, and most healthy sheep can sometimes become cast. Let me give you just a couple of reasons among many that sheep can become cast and need to be restored. First of all, sheep like to lie down in small, comfortable depressions in the ground. 
I mean, think about it. You like to find a comfortable seat too, don't you? Sometimes even if there are multiple options there in front of you, you might sit down in one seat and hop up and test the other to see if it's better. This is not a foreign idea to us. Sheep are similar in that they like to lie down in small, comfortable depressions, little, uh, little uh, divots or depressions in the ground. The problem is that in their comfort, they tend to stretch out and roll over. Friends, we do too, do we not? We get pretty comfortable, and then we're not just sitting anymore, but our, our feet are kind of propped and crossed. They are comfortable. We begin to stretch out. Like these sheep, they stretch out and they roll. And they can very easily find themselves in a position where they've rolled too far, now on their back, and they cannot right themselves again. And as they begin to panic, again frantically pawing, they roll over even further, making it almost impossible to regain their footing. Friends, this same imagery takes place in the local church. We're not much different than this when we get comfortable. When we, like sheep, get comfortable and sure of ourselves, we oftentimes stumble and fall. In the Christian life, there is uh, scarcely a greater danger than always looking for the easy place, the cozy corner, the comfortable position where there is no hardship, there is no need for endurance, and there is no demand for self-discipline. We tend to gravitate to those types of places. And so just like God, the perfect ultimate shepherd. God has given graciously shepherds to the flock that look out over the flock, that are constantly counting the flock to make sure that everyone is there, that everyone's accounted for. And if one's not, it's possible that that sheep is downcast somewhere and needs someone to come along and shepherd them and help them to get back on their feet, to right themselves again with the instrument of the Word of God. The green pasture of the great shepherd. Another reason that a sheep can become cast is that they have too much wool. When the fleece of a sheep grows too long, it can easily become matted with mud and manure and burrs and and other debris. All this additional weight can make it very easy for a sheep to become cast. And it's interesting to note that wool, oftentimes in Scripture, speaks of or depicts the old self-life of a Christian. The wool or the, the outer layer is what is in closest contact to the world around us. This is where we find the accumulation of all the things of earth, worldly thinking, and all the sin that begins to weigh us down. It's possible the writer of Hebrews even had some of this imagery amongst other imagery in his mind when he wrote, Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off all that entangles us, the sin that so easily weighs us down. And so when when the shepherd is not fulfilling his responsibility of keeping the sheep well-sheared, well-groomed, well-cared for, and their fleece begins to grow, it begins to pick up everything around it, and that additional weight can cause a sheep to become cast. A good shepherd will help keep his flock well-trimmed so that they do not easily pick up the debris that surrounds them. 
God uses two primary or two primary means rather uh, to restore us. The obvious primary means is that He uses His Word. David in Psalm nineteen verse seven says, "The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul or restoring the soul." The Word of God, the law of the Lord is perfect, restoring. The soul. Not only is it a similar phrase, but it's the exact same word we find here in Psalm 23. It's the exact same word. God's word points out where we're off the path and what we must do to be restored. But God has also entrusted those who are spiritual in the ministry to use God's word to restore straying sheep. A couple of verses that come to mind here. I think about James chapter 5, for instance. James writes, My brother, if anyone among you wanders away from the truth, there's shepherding language laced in this verse. If any among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, someone shepherds him or her well, let him know that whoever brings him back brings back a sinner from wandering in this world will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. We, like sheep, have all gone astray. We're prone to wonder. Even redeemed sheep are prone to wonder. And we need from time to time to be restored. To be restored. We see that in Galatians 6.1. Brothers, if any of you is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore such a one. But do so in a spirit of gentleness. And being careful at the same time that you yourself don't fall to temptation. Not only did God take the elders of Israel to task for their lack of feeding the flock, well, in Ezekiel 34, God also takes the elders of Israel to task for failing to care for the flock, for failing to restore them when necessary, to uh, bring them to a position of uprightness when they are cast. Ezekiel 34 God says, the weak you have not strengthened, the sick you have not healed, the injured you have not bound up, the strayed you have not brought back, the lost you have not sought, with the force and harshness that you have ruled them with. You've been a poor shepherd. You've been a poor shepherd. Number four, write this down. God has blessed me with local shepherds who mirror the ultimate shepherd by providing me with spiritual leadership. Spiritual leadership. Uh, Look at verse 3 again, the back half of verse 3. David says, speaking about God, He leads me in paths of righteousness for His name's sake. He leads me in paths of righteousness for His name's sake. Another blessing that comes from the Lord's shepherding to His flock is guidance in the right way or guidance along the right paths, the paths of righteousness. You see, a shepherd knows the right paths on which to bring the sheep home safely. So too, the Lord loses none of his sheep, but guides them in the right way. He guides them in the right way. He leads me in the path of righteousness. Now friends, sheep, if you've ever been around them, perhaps even at the petting zoo, you will know that sheep are very, very social. Matter of fact, sheep will follow the flock no matter where it takes them. This is very dangerous, right? Very dangerous. 
Some of the flock gets a good idea to go run off over here and everybody just herds on along. Sheep are very social. They'll follow the flock wherever it takes them. Sheep follow other sheep and that can be very dangerous. And friends, we're prone to follow as well and need a shepherd who will keep us on the right path. Shepherds who will keep us on the right path. We too need shepherds who will lead us to quiet waters in the midst of the rushing streams of the world. We all need guidance to know and to live, how, how, to know how to live uh, in this confusing world. And God's word tells us, go this way, don't go that way. Go down this path, don't go down that path. God, our ultimate shepherd, leads us, but he has entrusted uh, shepherds among the flock to lead them in the right way. Shepherds have the responsibility of leading the flock. Again, sheep don't lead themselves. It's the responsibility of shepherds in the local church to set the direction of the flock and to manage, to oversee, not with a heavy hand, not like a lead blanket, not in a dictatorship way, but to oversee the ministries within the local church. The shepherds, therefore, must be men who understand the word of God and keep in step with the spirit of God so that they, in turn, can lead the sheep of God in the direction that the good shepherd wants them led. And verses like Hebrews 13, 17 and 1 Peter chapter 5, amongst a host of others, call the congregation to willingly, joyfully submit themselves to the authority and leadership of the shepherds that God has given them. Again, there's all kinds of, uh, of passages in the New Testament that, that speak against the shepherds being heavy-handed and leading in an oppressive way. I tell young uh, men in my office for pre-marriage counseling all the time that they ought to be thinking about right now, before they get married, how they can lead and shepherd and guide their wives in such a way that it is her absolute honor and pleasure to follow him. Where it's not begrudging, where we're not having to gut it out. He's leading well, he's shepherding well, he's caring for well, he's feeding well, he's nourishing well, he's praying for well. So she wants nothing more than to follow him. It's a joy. Well, that same imagery is to be seen in the local church, replicated in the local church. Your shepherds, I pray, are leading you in a way that is caring for your soul, overseeing your soul, nourishing you with the word, praying for you, helping to protect the flock from danger and the enemy of false doctrine and false teaching, which is right outside those glass doors, willing to lay down the life for the sheep so that it is your great joy and your great honor to willingly follow. I hope that's the model that's taking place. We're growing. We're not perfect. No local church is. But I hope that's the model that's continuing to grow here at the chapel. Where there is a servant shepherding and there is a humble submissiveness from the flock. And we all have our eyes fixed on Jesus, the great shepherd. Not our own agendas, but on his. Number five here, and we've got to move quickly. We will. God has blessed me with local shepherds who mirror the ultimate shepherd by providing spiritual protection. Protection. Look at verses four and five. 
Verses 4 and 5 here. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. In verses 4 and 5, we see the blessing of the Lord's leading and protection that is to be mirrored in under-shepherds in the local church. That there is a heart, a desire, a tenacity to protect the flock. Protect the flock. Sheep have no defenses. Wolves, foxes, bobcats, mountain lions, bears, they're all lurking in the shadows, armed with claws, teeth, and speed. Sheep have none of those. They have none of those. A sheep is no match for any of these predators. And both sheep and the predators know it. And so the shepherd is the one who stands in the way as the protector of the flock. David killed both a lion and a bear in defense of his sheep. David mentions the implements of the shepherd's protection here as being the rod and the staff. Each of these tools has a very specific purpose in the life of the shepherd for the sheep. The staff was a long pole. It had a crook or a hook near the end of it. With this implement, the shepherd would correct the sheep and draw them back in when they began to wander away from the flock. The rod was a much shorter uh, implement, much shorter than the staff. And this was used by the shepherd to protect the sheep from anything that might try to attack the flock. This was the blunt object. And so you have the, the, the correcting implement, the staff, and you have the rod, which was the blunt object used for protection. Well, just as shepherds protect their sheep from anything that might harm them, local shepherds, pastors, elders have the responsibility to protect the flock from potential danger. Shepherds protect the flock from false doctrine, from false teaching, which is a dime a dozen out there. Therefore, shepherds must be men who know sound doctrine and can recognize false teaching. Men who can recognize errant teaching. As a matter of fact, we see that one of the qualifications for an elder, for a shepherd, for a pastor, is that they must be able to exhort in sound doctrine. This means that shepherds must hold tightly to the word so that they're able to encourage and strengthen and help God's people with the word. That we're able to lead the flock to those green pastures. That we're able to strengthen God's people with an understanding of sound doctrine so that they will turn from every form of false doctrine. Shepherds also protect the flock by addressing sin issues that arise in the church. Sin, if left, unshepherded, undealt with, unconfessed, and unrepented of, will spread like gangrene across the congregation. And so shepherds protect the flock by addressing sin that arises within the membership. We're going to talk about accountability in in, uh, four weeks from now. We'll talk more about that. It's very important. It's very important. Shepherds are also to refute those who contradict their teaching. The shepherds must know the word well enough that they can literally overthrow is the word. To refute those who contradict sound teaching. They can overthrow those who refute... uh, or who contradict their sound teaching. The church will always be filled with those who will preach an unsound doctrine, a doctrine that is not in accord with godliness, a doctrine that appears to be good, but that is not genuine, that will not nourish, will not uh, bring sustenance to the flock. Churches are filled with that stuff now. The church will always have false teachers. 
Therefore, local churches must be led by shepherds who can see those doctrines and not only can see them themselves, but are teaching the flock how to recognize them. This isn't some kind of hierarchy where we have all the tools, we have all the resources, and so you're just a bunch of little uh, followers here. We want to help instruct you so that you, you can, you can refute unsound doctrine. And that you know it when it comes. John Calvin once wrote, a pastor needs two voices, or a shepherd needs two voices. One for gathering the sheep, that's the staff, and the other for driving away wolves and thieves. That's the rod. Okay, that's the rod. I've got a bunch of stuff here in this point, but we're going to go ahead and move to the end here. Number six, write this down. God has blessed me with local shepherds who mirror the ultimate shepherd by providing spiritual vision. Write down vision. Look at verse six. We'll close here. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Uh, friends, there's so much that could be said here, but as, uh, as local shepherds, one of my uh, greatest responsibilities, one of our collective greatest responsibilities is to help the flock keep their eyes off all the glittery, uh, shimmering things of earth and to keep your eyes fixed on the chief shepherd, to keep your eyes fixed on eternity, and to keep, keep your eyes fixed on the home that is to come. This is not our home. We are merely sojourners and aliens. We are just passing through. But the heart of a shepherd wants to help his sheep keep their eyes fixed heavenward. I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Friends, that is a true statement for any redeemed, regenerate individual. Anyone who knows Jesus savingly, that is a true statement. You can take it to the bank. You will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. The psalmist writes, one thing I've asked, one thing I have sought from the Lord, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, that I may gaze upon his beauty and inquire of him and his temple. Jesus himself said, let not your hearts be troubled. I go to prepare a place for you in my father's house. There are many rooms. If it were not so, I wouldn't have told you that. But I'm going to prepare a place for you and I will come again to take you where I am. That you may know where I am going. Remember Thomas asked, where are you going? This is where Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And so as shepherds, we want to help keep the eyes of the flock heavenward. We want to keep your vision heavenward. Friends, I hope you see here this morning, uh, there's so much more to say about this wonderful pearl of a psalm, but I hope that you see how the chief shepherd, the great shepherd, shepherds the flock, and that that same shepherding is to be mirrored by under-shepherds of the local flock with which they have care and concern.